If Murray had supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> America's first. Blubbity Blah, the Blubbity Blah. Sending out good vibes. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grammaric Show. We are going to be chatting with Alan Greenfield, Secrets of the Real Black Lodge Revealed. A little bit later, if you want to skip ahead, there's a little timestamp in the show notes. You just click on that. We get past all our lazy ramblings and smart alekiness and uh, all that kind of stuff. Of course, I guess this is the first real episode we did since CAC. I told uh, Tony... That he has to come back on the show once he gets settled. Oh, yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. This is his overall opinion on what it was like coming to America yeah. and going back to that tiny little shitty island. No, no it's a great island. I want to move there. I want, we should, I'll, I'll switch places with Tony. Dude, you live in shitty Saskatchewan. I mean, no one wants <laughs> to change places with you. <laughs> I saw the nor- Northern Lights the other night on the way back. I bet you the Northern Lights are great and the ice fishing is great and the duck hunt is great. I mean, I could I could do it up there, but I don't know what you're Well, gonna if do. he wants like wide open prairies and stuff, like, like, shitty little like, island, I mean, I just think his shitty little island is beautiful. That's all. Hobbies include cross-country skiing, flying <laughs> kites. <laughs> You should get an e-bike or something. I don't need to. You should get a shotgun. I don't have anywhere to go. I mean, you can hunt ducks only for another month, though. I don't know what you can do after that. We could do all winter. Play hockey. Why don't you play hockey? Yeah, I might look into some some hockey here. Like on skates. I mean, I could, but I might break. I'm so heavy. Do you might pull Kevin and like break your tib and your fib trying to turn that fat ass around? No offense, but that's what happened to him, dude. I was right there. He thought he was still like 20 years old (laughs) because I didn't even touch a dude, man. He just went to pivot real quick, but he's like 50 pounds heavier than he thinks he is, and just (laughs) yeah. I don't think it's smart to get on skates if you're that heavy and play hockey. But maybe there's one you can do it. It's just because you're real good. That's the problem. It's worse when you're good. Yeah. You can get going quick and you yeah. can, like, you're used to being able yeah. to. But you're and just catching like, an edge or whatever is going a lot worse. Plus, falling when you're 50 pounds heavier is a lot worse. Hard on the knees, man. Yeah. Eight and that fast is no joke. I just got to start running. I, I just started running and doing something. For a couple of uh, games, you can be a real phenom. Yeah. <laughs> Superstar wreck <league. laughs> Boom. Dude, I used to play so much. I mean, I was thinking back to the 90s and the early 2000s. Man, I played hockey like twice a week. We'd go from ball hockey to ice hockey. Twice a night, I mean. Twice a night, like five I've seen you play. 
If you're, you know, one of the best people I've seen play hockey. <laughs> wow. You were. I mean, I haven't that's seen pretty, you play in like a decade. But yeah, 10 years pretty, ago, you were fast and quick. That's and, pretty good. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Ice. I mean, I played so much ice, too, and a lot of ball. But anyways, I was just I'd thinking. Back against you now, though. What? I'd play against you now, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. For You'd sure. just be all darting around for like 10 seconds. <laughs> You'd just be huffing and puffing. Well, before we moved out here, the ball hockey was a disaster, dude. It was hard. It was hard to me. I was hurting. Like I, my, I, couldn't even heal between ga- I couldn't even heal between games. And I shouldn't talk because I'm currently still injured from my hunting injury. How's your, how's your finger doing? I can bend it a bit. Like, see, I'm supposed to be bending it. It hurts when you bend you're it. You're supposed to be bending it? I'm supposed to be bending it. Oh, you can go to the guy going to physio and stuff? Or? Yeah. I got the little homemade. Uh, it's get hard to type. Oh, yeah. It sucks, man. It's like the worst possible. I mean, it could be worse. It could be like, there's definitely worse things that could happen but it's in a terrible spot if it was the middle finger i suppose that'd be worse that would be worse or if it was a pointer that would also that might be yeah. not as bad if it was a pointer i don't know no i'd be worse if it was a pointer i don't know on the right hand it's just you know a shitty situation to yeah, fuck yeah. up any of those fingers they're all pretty critical infrastructure yeah, yeah. And then you got this big bloated thing sticking out all the time that don't bend either. So it's, dude, I couldn't even carry like a uh, jerry can. Right. Normally I just grab a jerry can in each hand, but I just can't with this fucking because my hand goes in and I can't leave it sticking out. Yeah, well, I can't even do that unless I could do it. Like I'd have to do it just those two fingers because if I roll it in, then when I go to lift, it wants to straighten out and it gets fucked up and hurts. Yeah, and probably isn't good for it. Try and overextend it, and then if I like try and keep it out, then it jams into it the other way. So I'm just like one handed trying to do all these things, but I don't really look. You know, it's just like it's not really enough to get excused from doing anything. It's just like a little finger. It's just like come on, pussy, get to it. Annoyance, but it's just an annoyance. But you're gonna be moving soon, so you're gonna have to be like moving a bunch of boxes and carrying shit around. Yep. Yep. It's not going to be better for the move. So I'm going to hire some kids from work. Though. I'm just hiring some kids cash. Yeah, that's a good idea. That's worth it. Most of that shit. Yeah. So it won't be bad. You know, I'll just like kind of leave everything in place. And if everything's in place, I could probably, you know, knock it out four or five hours. Just move all that shit into the truck, drive it over there, move all that shit out of the truck. Yeah, I'm okay to like putter around. It's just I ain't carrying a desk down the stairs right now. It's just not happening. At least there's really not too many stairs at the new place. Because the downstairs stuff can just go in the downstairs door. The upstairs stuff can go. The problem is that upstairs door is like a scissor. So you're going up five down or down five sort of thing. Oh, is it one of those? Mm-hmm. So which is probably the door. But then there's a... For the big annoying stuff, you can go around and in the patio door into the basement. Is it one of those traditional old houses that you do that? You go down, there's two bedrooms on the right, and then there's the big room on the left, and you go up, and there's bedrooms on the right, and the kitchen, and then a living room with a little... Uh, No, it's pretty. It's only like 15 years old. Huh. It's a big yeah. bungalow, yeah. Three bedrooms huh. up and 
two bedrooms down. Huge basement. Finished up. Wow, that's great. Yeah, it's a nice little spot. It's pretty good. Pretty good find. And then we got the like, it's got the water filter in it and stuff. I had, we had to buy that. And the guy, because the guy put it in. It's like that it was an aftermarket thing. We bought his couch too. What kind of water filter? Did he have it on the whole house or? Yeah, dude, the whole house fucking filtration system from the well. RO or? Super soft water. Uh, yeah, I think so. RO with all the fucking stuff in it, all the different big filters, but huge, huge, huge. Wow, that's great, though. Yeah, he said the water. Your showers are filtered too, like everything? Everything. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. And it's well. So there's no. Wow. Did he charge? Did you, what did he charge you for that? If you don't mind me asking. Two grand. (laughs) What a good deal. It's 4,500 now. It was only 45. Hey, that still seems cheap. Yeah, I don't know how many gallons per minute is where, but I guess this, I mean, I can't see us having any problem. How often do you have to clean the filters and stuff, do you think? Probably once a year or something. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'll have to look into all that, but I'm pretty happy to not have uh, the sulfur smell. It takes oh, all that. Oh, yeah. No yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's fantastic. Yeah. <clears throat> and then if you get a Berkey and like a wind turbine, you got water all the time, you know, or a generator, you know, for a short term. But long term, my plan is to figure out a way to just run that fucking well. I still haven't seen that wind turbine that I saw one somewhere on a post and it was on top of a roof and it was super funky looking, like very modern looking. I've seen a bunch. There's a bunch on Amazon. If you just go on Amazon and type in wind turbine, there's a no, bunch. I, of I don't think I can find it. It wasn't like the same like one. Tunnel, it's like a little two foot fucking tube. And that'll, what will that run? Do you think if you, cause you could install that on your roof and run. Something I don't know. That's what, that's the kind of shit. I don't know. Maybe someone in the audience knows what kind of power and stuff. You need. the other thing is solar. We get a shit ton of sunlight here. So between the two, it can't take that much power to pump out of the well. That's really all I care about. I mean, if the oh, shit goes see, down, yeah, the furnace is useless. your furnace is useless. If the shit goes down anyway, there's a gas fireplace in it, but I still have my wood furnace and I'm bringing that with me. And now I have like, you know, a three acre forest plus another like four acres of trees on there down at the other end. If the shit ever goes down, I could just farm those, you know? Yeah. Or would right now there's already probably like 10 cords of fucking, and the cords are eight feet by eight feet by eight feet stacked. Wow. Oh yeah. Yeah. And there's probably 10 cords of deadfall in there that'll start cutting up in the spring and just piling up, piling up, piling up. Because I want to have giant bonfires out there too, but then I just want to have all that wood in case. uh, Yeah. If the shit goes down, I will swap out that other furnace with my wood burning furnace. And then, and then the other thing is water. And then if you could just find a way. And the other thing is water. Yeah. I mean, it's probably, we'd probably be honestly shutting down half the house in the winter. You could probably use a like probably use a the generator for it. Well, the furnace runs itself, you know. Oh, for yeah, you could use the generator for water, but then you just run. It's just not like if you have solar. If you could run that thing, even fucking twenty hours a day, or fifteen hours a day, or even fucking three or four hours a day for that matter, 
off of wind and solar if you had a couple batteries that you could charge up so you had just you know you could adapt to the water running from noon to four man oh yeah, yeah, yeah. when everyone else is adapting to no fucking running water having running water for a couple hours a day on you your own for sure yeah. yeah you refill and, you know you can even the pot. you can, you can then you have that berkey thing right yeah you have that Berkey that you just dump, that you can dump whatever. I mean, I think you could drink the water while the eventually the filters and everything would run out. So the, the Berkey ones, but uh, that's like the, I think the Berkey's probably the gold standard for like apocalypse shit. Yeah. Or where you just, you can have that fucking thing there and have 10 sets of filters and you're good for a decade or 15 years of running. You know, you can run some dirty fucking water through that fucking Berkey, and as long as you clean them filters off, it'll be fine. And then you could you could use uh, on the generator. You could use Malcolm Bendel's uh, new technology to increase the efficiency and and scrub the exhaust or transmute the exhaust. <laughs> True that. I mean, allegedly you can. Why don't we start with a generator? <laughs> well, they are. That's what they're doing it on generators. That, I mean, that's what that that's conference was. How much are they saving? Well, I mean, they say it doubles the efficiency and and it and it transmutes the exhaust, like all the harmful exhaust to oxygen at twenty percent. So, so get twice as much out of a tank of gas. Yeah, but I think it'll be more than it'll be more than that. It's more than that. They don't. I, don't, I think they're very they're being very cautious about the results. Yeah, twice of twice as much ain't bad, man. And you still think I people take are twice as much? And you think that's, you like, still think- that's like gas is suddenly sixty cents a liter. It's like it's fucking nineteen ninety five again. Yeah, I mean that 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 would be good. Twice as much is a decent start for sure. I'll take it. Sold. How much? Can we build one? Fifteen hundred bucks. Are we gonna attach it to my truck? So there's people doing DIY videos, man. Check out Alchemical Science. He's got a bunch on there. They're Why doing don't we do this to the Lexus. They're do- what? Why, Why don't we do this to the Lexus? It needs to run first. <laughs> well, shouldn't it's- this help with that? They they order they're ordering a new harness now. A new harness for the. Uh, for the engine. New Same place? The new place? What is happening? I feel like you're going down a real rabbit hole with this Lexus. Oh, yeah. Well, they had to order it from the States. They tried all these eBay ones that didn't work. Are they Dude, charging it, you for a, all this? It's a sign. No, they're not. So I'm not. It's not on. I've already paid. But he must be losing it. I've already paid. Well, he, she is. She, she, it's a, it's a, it's a check. check. Place. Yeah. And she's like, I'm never going to do one of these again. And like, cause the, cause the, the junkyard screwed them over with the engine. They cut all the you fucking wires. Fucking fix your car, it, dude. It's the parts now. They bought a brand new harness now from Lexus, and Lexus doesn't have any in stock. They have to order them from the state, dude. I'm telling you, it's an example of the collapse we're talking about. The, the, oh, the supply chains are a mess everywhere. It's unbelievable. To be honest, you'd think the chick would probably be pretty good at fixing cars. If you know that make it that far in a man's world. Well, I don't know if she's the one fixing them. She she owns oh. the business. I mean, she she's got a a guy from Eastern Europe there that does most of the work. He seems oh, pretty good. Nice. Like I try, I trust them, but it's just frustrating because like what? I was going to sell it. Now I can't. I don't even think I can sell it. I, I need the car. What? You got yourself in a real predicament, Dunlop. How many kilometers on the new motor? Uh, hundred and forty-seven thousand or one hundred and sixty thousand. It's a good. It's a looks clean, That's dude. It looks clean yeah. compared to my engine, my motor. It looks super clean. It's another nice. ten, five, ten years. Got a right. new pump, new battery, new brakes. Like it's got like, oh, dude. I put twelve thousand into eleven thousand five hundred into that, and I can't even use it. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that includes all the maintenance I had done at Lexus before it cropped out. You could have bought a truck. A little truck. Yeah, I mean, believe me, being out here, I think, yeah, I can see how owning a truck would be cool. I might even be converted to a truck guy at some point. Nah, at best you're like a mini truck guy. No, I can like, see that like, like a Ford Ranger or something. Dodge Dakota. It'd be like either a Toyota or like a Jeep truck or something. The Jeep Gladiator would be cool. If I had all the money and like maybe a Jeep no. Gladiator, if you had all the money, that's what you're going with the Jeep Gladiator. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get back to this Malcolm Bendall stuff because I did want to I did want to do a little segment on that little update for the for the people. We're now. We've been doing it. No, dude, it's been going on. People are doing DIYs. Check out Alchemical Science. And I've got a clip here from from uh funny old world, uh Johanna James, I think her name is. Um, let's play this clip here and then I'll, and I'll get into more of it. It's all you, buddy. You got to pull this off all by yourself. I'm, I'm doing it right now. I don't have an office again in two weeks. It was like, oh, the smell's gone. So I don't know how you would create something that could fabricate, uh, fake, uh, readings on two independent machines one with fraud protection and also have the physiological experience of literally smelling the exhaust fumes reducing with your own nose which again is something that you can only do if you're in the room but so she's talking about like physically seeing the the thing turn on and off while the generator's going right you can smell the you know the dirty engine smell and then like george howard like huffed it Johanna James, she's the one that's been at the co- she's at the Cosmic Summit there with those guys. Is she like a uh, mechanic or something? A what? Is she like a mechanic or something? No, no, no. She's she just looks into all this kind of stuff and 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 summarizes it on YouTube. She's a YouTuber. Good one. Two hundred thousand followers. <laughs> Anyways, I listen to what she says. What happened to me? So, because Bob Green, I think it was Bob Greener that was there the doing tests. Tests on <laughs> so her credibility is shot yeah. already. <laughs> Maybe that's why she didn't know how to do the sign. <laughs> Bob, I think Bob Greener was there with, with one of those with one of those cameras with the four hundred power on it, uh, checking out this inside surface of the thunderstorm generator. So this is going to be her describing it a bit. Interesting. One of the previous test spheres, the stainless steel spheres, had been sawn in half and opened up so that we were able to test and analyze the chemical composition inside the machine to see really what's going on and what these reactions are creating um, on a chemical level. And it was incredible. I got to film with a camera that had a sort of times 400 lens, so really, really, really microscopic. And got to have a look at the inside of the stainless steel and what we found was amazing. There are crystals forming inside the thunderstorm generator sphere. Crystal deposits, some of them were absolutely huge. I called them certified long boys. You don't even need a microscopic lens to see them. You can see them just um, shining, dazzling in the sunlight or if you shine a light onto the inside of the sphere, you can see them with your own eyes. It's like a disco glitter ball in there. But what you can't see with your eyes, uh, and only when you look up close to the lens, is these thousands and thousands and thousands of pockmarks, literal divots in the stainless steel where these implosions, explosions, these plasmoid uh, reactions are happening. And it is 
pelting the inside of the stainless steel, creating these craters. And inside the craters, they are collecting the chemicals and the waste chemicals and these crystals. Now, the chemical analysis we're still waiting on. Um, so they're going to be looked at um, in detail. And then it can be categorically defined what the reactional process is inside and what they are creating. Just proof of your eyes, there is definitely something going on. Um, because anyone who's quite skeptical of the machine says, oh, you're, you know, you're simply just adding water through the exhaust, which is going to help somewhat. But you can't get these results of zeroing out zeroing out the carbon and physically something else is going on in there that is not just water going through a pipe. I'm sorry, there's crystal. And again, in certain areas, we can see that the stainless steel um, has turned this amazing deep red gold color, sort of like a purpley red gold. The metal has changed color in certain areas. Which wow. How long before that thing fails with all the water well, in it? Well, I mean... <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I wonder how long that one's been running. I mean, if it if it's definitely taking material out of there, and then where where's that material going? All the pock marks. Is it getting are those transmuted little carbon crystals? What are those little carbon crystals? What I don't know. What which ones? Can the I ones that are in those. Is it what? for a carbon tax rebate? <laughs> yeah. Here's my crystals. Like we're my... capturing carbon. Yeah. No, because it gets transmuted into oxygen. Some. So what are those crystals? Uh? Well, they're well. I don't know if they're left over. Like they're not, you know, toxic. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, how long is it going to last if if it keeps getting dividend like that? I mean, it must have a lifetime, right? I mean, when the wall Maybe thickness we can make it a titanium or something. The wall thickness. Well, I think there's something about the stainless that's important about the reaction. I'm not sure. Huh. So, anyways, I mean, this is this is moving moving on. And people are building them. There's DIYs out there now. And Malcolm and George Howard, actually, one of our past guests on Outlawed. Check it out. Great great chat with him just a few episodes ago. Cry America Outlawed. They're going to India Smart Tech. So so this is, this is um, I mean, I could share it with you, but there's no point because, uh, you know, but it's India Smart Tech Conference 2023. And it seems like quite a, there's like 500 plus uh, Attendees, 550 entrepreneurs, <clears throat> 27. Entrepreneurs. <laughs> and it's to accelerate India's technological prowess. <clears throat> now, I think that honestly, this is what this is what's gonna like propel this thing forward is India seems to be greatly interested, ironically, with the old sort of Vedic stuff that he talks about in and the Sanskrit. Um, but it's uh He's going to be in there chatting with, let me just give you an idea of who's speaking there. Microsoft, Intel, AI, uh, a bunch of Indian IT companies, let's say Siemens. Um, and Siemens applied, gas the juice. Applied materials. Um, let me see who else here. Uh, so, and then there it is. Catalog. Strike Foundation, uh, Malcolm Mendel's in there. So, I mean, there's a whole bunch of these people. It seems to be like pretty mainstream. So, you know, it's going to get some attention. It's finally going to get some I attention. Like I like yeah. it. 
Do we have shares? You can push back on. You can push I don't back. Push back. I, I mean, want it to I mean, work. You know, I mean, I I hear people are skeptical with you still all the time, and I'd like to know everybody. What, why is, everybody is skeptical with me. Everyone's like, nah, man, it's bullshit. They're not saying it's bullshit. I'm telling you, man. I'm not gonna name names, but well, why aren't they telling me that? Why don't they tell me that then? Because I mean, I don't know. Them, not, like, tell Graham, guys. Yeah, you know who you are. Tell Graham. Yeah, because I don't I, know. What I'd like to know what. I'd like to know why they think it is like, what is showing them? Like, I mean, proof is on coming. It's been coming and it's coming more. But like, what, is, <laughs> what is, what is saying that it's not going to be is a soundbite, you know, what is, what is saying that it's not going to be what it says it is. Truth is coming and it's been I mean, coming and it's coming. More. Randall, Randall and Ben were on uh, concrete talking about Ben's vases, which was fascinating. And also, this technology based on ancient wisdom and it's pretty, pretty fascinating. Ben's vases from Florida. Those Here's what I think it is. Private collection is Bendel's a pretty eccentric guy. You know, yeah. he's very That's spiritual. Weird. He's super eccentric. He has a, I think he has a hard time explaining things in a way where he doesn't go around in too deep of a level and just keeping it real, like surface for the lay people and people just, it, it's, Skeptical people just look at him and judge him by his personality and his demeanor. It's not his demeanor, but his personality instead of just looking at the, the evidence and the science. Uh, yeah. Well, it, the paradigm, man, is changing the whole scientific paradigm. Is it? Changing it. Yeah. For the good? Yeah, man. Hopefully. Like like all the, the precursors to him. Huh. Well, I mean, I hope for the best. I really do. I hope it all works out. I'd love, I'd love to get, I'd love to double my gas. Which, dude, I'll take fifty percent. Give me fifty percent. Oh yeah, the gas is it's it's. And I will eat my hat on this show. Not my cowboy hat. Not even a whole hat. Maybe like part of a hat. I'll take one bite of one hat. <laughs> That's it. So you think, what do you think this year, one year, two year, five year? No, I mean, it's already happening. So next year, I think it'll be a big year for it. People have been making free energy machines on YouTube since. This is not free energy though. This is not free energy. So it's just, it's just modern alchemy. That sounds so much better. Just. just. <laughs> it's magic beans, baby. All right. Moving on. Support the show america.ca slash support guys if you can when you can if you're getting some value from our little podcast here if you like it 630 episodes out there for free you can go back to episode one you can listen today episode five ten a hundred you name it they're all there no paywalls if you guys want to support it if you think you're getting some value from our show maybe it's adding some value to your commute to your day at work your workout wherever you're listening to the show we're helping you pass time. Send a little uh, value back our way over at grimerica.ca slash support today. It'll be a buck a month or 10 bucks a month or 50 bucks a month. You decide what that show is worth to you. And uh, you make a one-time donation as well. PayPal, Stripe, Bitcoin. Or, uh, yeah, do it. Support us if you like what you're getting. I mean, if you've been listening to all the episodes and we know that, you know, Thousands and thousands of you have. It'd be great if, like, you know, a couple hundred you could support. So we'd appreciate it if you 
uh, don't want to do that here, you can check out Grammarica Outlaw and sign up over there. You can head over to Adult Brain Audiobooks and sign up over there. Go to contactatthecabin.com and sign up for a trip. We just sent out the contact at the cabin email with next year's event list. It looks pretty epic. So if that's something you're interested in, once in a lifetime trip. We just got a few more five star reviews on Google this week. So nice. Check it out. Yeah, we got like 10 all five star reviews on our trips. People are having a blast. We think you will too. Contact at the cabin.com. Am um, I forgetting anything for the. Uh, no, I don't think so. Support the show, dudes, and do that. Yeah, it's yeah. important. People yeah. seem to forget. I know there's a lot out there to do, but even if you can't do the, so if you can't commit to a monthly, just send us ten bucks. We'll take it. I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. one time donations are a great way to do it. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it's not going to sneak up in you and come into your account or anything like that. Basically, we just have to keep up with attrition. <laughs> Almost all the fucking. Uh, Private rooms for next year's uh, Hot Springs event are sold out already. That's good. Cool. Sold for like three days. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, everybody seems to want to come back. That was a great. Yeah, event. it was a great event. It was a good one. We're doing it again okay. next November. So if you're if that's something you're interested in, check that out right away. That Eclipse Bash is going to be out of this world. Last Eclipse in almost a hundred years. It's probably your lifetime. Probably your lifetime. Let's be honest. If you're listening to this. It's probably the last Eclipse that you can drive to in your lifetime. So it might be worth checking. And for 500 bucks, it might be worth checking someplace where you don't have to worry about driving there the day before. you got a place. You're camping with a bunch of cool-ass people, listening to cool-ass music, and uh, having a time. We'll be having a time down in, uh, what's that place called again? Paradise, Texas? Or, or Oasis? What's it? Something oh, fucking. Uh, yeah. Um, something. Uh, Utopia, maybe? Utopia, that's it. That's it. So, so check that all out. Contact at the cabin.com and uh, jump on an event. What else you got before we well, wrap? Well, I mean, <clears throat> I wish we would have talked about the, this episode a little bit at the beginning, the very beginning, because this was a fantastic one with Alan Greenfield, Secrets of the Black Lodge. Like, it really sort of pieced together some stuff for me. <clears throat> and I honestly haven't read his book yet, his latest book yet. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and I'm going to read it and try and maybe do it on audio. I'm going to email, email Olav here and see what we can do here. But I mean, this is like fascinating stuff. I think, I think it's, I, I can't find a bio from him anywhere, but I think he said to us that he was, he was part of the hermetic brotherhood of the light. So let's say that. <laughs> and his, his latest book is secrets of the black lodge revealed. But that's three in a trilogy. And the other two are Secrets of the Real, oh, sorry, Secret Rituals of the Men in Black and Secret Cipher of the Euphonauts. And he's written a bunch of these books. And he's kind of made the connection recently about uh, occultism and UFOs. Like, the, you know, there's more to this ufology and the disclosure than, than we think about, that we know about. There you have it, guys. Yeah. Fantastic chat. This dude's great. Buddies with Olaf, we gotta have Olaf back on. Yeah, we should. I mean, speaking of great chats, for now, guys, enjoy the chat. Fabulous. Alan Greenfield.
All right, we are live. Dr. Alan Greenfield, welcome to Gray America. How are you? I'm doing just fine. How are you folks doing? Oh, we're doing good. We're doing okay, I think. Hey, Darren, Darren's getting ready to move. He's packing up all his books, and uh, I've got the picture of all his books behind me. Well, there you go. And it's an immense collection, which I can't read the title so that I can go, oh, I see that you are interested in... <laughs> JFK. It would be it would be you're interested in my work, but there's none of my books on your shelf yet. That's what I would be, you know. Oh, okay. Well uh, you'll notice I don't have any books on my shelf. My books are now those that I still have are in my bedroom because and I just built some new bookcases, but it's nothing like the library that I once had that was a thousand volumes. Wow. He's also cut out the fiction shelf, which is arguably the best, the best stuff. Well, there's there's a lot of inspiration for me in fiction, particularly the fiction of Philip K. Dick, which uh, uh, he had a major, major influence on me uh, very early on in life. I mean, from from being a tween to the present. So I think I have, there's some short stories I probably haven't read, but I've read every book that he ever wrote, including the ones that got rejected in his lifetime. So. Didn't we talk to his wife? Yeah, we did. Yeah, Tessa. Yeah. Uh, well, she was, I better watch myself here. She was wife number five, I believe. And uh, her, I read her biography of her ex. And uh, bullshit. I mean, it's okay. You could say whatever you want here. You don't have. You want. You don't have to watch your mouth. You don't have. It's fine. Well, she just. I, I just don't want to uh, piss her off because I might, you know, encounter her at some point, and a close encounter of the seventeenth kind would get me socked with a purse in the face. But uh, she just, I think, misses the point. She was. Uh, Bill Dick, which I could relate to, had a taste for, how shall I put it, the very young girls. Uh, and uh, she was very young. I think she was a teenager when they got together. And she just didn't, I mean, I, I assume she's a smart person. He said so. But she doesn't really understand the experiences that he had and tends to, uh, uh, put those I don't know if put down is the right way to put it but uh, she tends to be somewhat dismissive of them whereas many of his you know closest friends uh, really some of the biographies of post you know post-mortem biographies of Phil Dick and I don't want to spend too much time talking about him unless you wanted to do a show on him but they go to his ex-wives as primary sources. Well, excuse me, I would hate for there to be a post-mortem biography of Alan Greenfield done by my ex-wives. Holy that, shit. That would be, <laughs> there's a reason that the ex is there in each and every case. So uh, you really wouldn't want uh, that to be the most reliable source because obviously there are reasons that they split up 
and that's always the case and you really need to look you know to uh, friends acquaintances and probably people that didn't know him personally which i did not uh, unfortunately uh, but who have followed his work uh, if i may be so bold as to use the term religiously from like the his earliest books to the uh, to the posthumously published uh, rejects, which shouldn't have been rejected, in my opinion. Which was your favorite? Maybe Ubik, but probably the one most influential on me was uh, uh, The Man in the High Castle. Have you seen the TV show about that? I don't particularly like Amazon but I subscribed to Prime just so that I could see that program. And, and thankfully, I also got to see uh, Hellier Seasons 1 and 2 on there a little bit earlier than you could see them on YouTube. And so did you like The Man in the High Castle then? Was it worth it? The first season is very faithful to the book. I don't know that fidelity to a book, you know, they say that about Dune a lot a lot you know is this faithful to is the fanish types on youtube they go on oh well this is not what was in the book that's not it's a different medium so you would expect adaptation to be well, adaptation you know no, it, just it just can't suck it just can't suck you know well that's another matter <laughs> that's yeah. a separate subject if it sucks it's not doing uh, the reputation of the titled material uh any favors if everyone it, tells me how great game of thrones is but i just i tried one episode and i was like man these might be some of the best books ever written it just it's not it's not it's not up to snuff well it's depend uh, if you're talking about man in the high castle the series uh, are you is that what we're talking about I was talking about Game of Thrones, but I ha am a huge Dune fan. I've read all of them. You know, I even did like the first, after I finished the first eight, I did like the Butlerian Jihad. I did that trilogy, but I mean, it was just, it was pretty verbose. So I, I after that, I just stopped because I was going to try getting into his kids stuff, but it just wasn't the same. Even like the last two weren't, weren't as good, but I mean, I don't even know if the first, like the, I don't even know if the first book was my favorite. The third one is pretty good. And even the one where he comes back as a crazy sandworm. I mean, at first you're like, what the fuck is happening? This is nuts. But then by the end, you're like, all right, I can dig it. Well, I read them all and I had a curious history with that because I went to see it, uh, the movie version, the Lynch. So the 84, movie. the new one or the 84? No, the 84, David Lynch doesn't like his own movie version because he said they cut all the best stuff out. Anyway, I went with people who had read the books and I had not at that time. And they were all hugely, or as Trump would say, hugely disappointed in it. And I went home and I read every single book that had come out to that date. And as long as Frank Herbert was alive, I read it all the way through Chapter House. although. I must admit, by the time it got to that, I was kind of glad that he had gone on to his reward because it got very uh, turgid uh, and repetitious, too. I mean, uh, I was not 
fond of the later books, but I read them all because I was energized by the movie and uh, the first, I guess, let's see, Dune, and then Dune Messiah, which was mercifully short. And what was the third book? Children of Children Dune? Children of Dune. Okay. I, those were good. After that, it became... That, uh, the next one was when he was a sandworm, I think. Uh, no, that that was not even written. That was written by Brian Herbert, I think. No, I didn't no, read no. any of the. That was definitely the in the original five. Let me. Uh, I'll pull it up. Graham, you keep going. I'll find them and I'll I'll get all the names. Okay. Well, while he's life. looking it up, let's sing, Graham, all together. Merry, 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 merry Christmas. Ronco presents the Christmas gift. Da, 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 da. But for 1995, you can get my book, and it does come from Ronco. I literally just uh, packed them. I should have checked while I was packing them. Okay. Uh, no, no. This, okay, so Dune, Dune Messiah, Children of Dune, God Emperor of Dune, yeah. Heretics of Dune, and okay. then Chapter House of Dune. I think God Emperor of Dune is the one where he's a sandworm. Yeah. And he's got and, unlimited little Duncan uh, Keith, or what? not Duncan Keith. What's his name again now? Duncan. Uh, Idaho. Duncan Idaho. He's got unlimited little Duncan Idahos. He just keeps getting mad and killing them. The Gulas of Duncan. And anybody who hasn't read Dune is now changing their channels. Yeah. Or We're going to talk one. about the real Black Lodge. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I do, but I do want to ask before we just shift away from this subject, because it's been on my mind for a couple of years now, <clears throat> speaking of sci-fi and, and fiction, is there anything to the prominent names in science fiction that were of those guys that were hanging around with Jack Parsons and Hubbard, you know, like I feel like there was this group of them playing around with all this stuff. And and a lot of those guys just ended up being like very famous household names in sci-fi. Like, do you what? think there's anything either, anything either informing their, 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 uh, their creative works or, or was it just like those people ended up all being sort of famous later? Well, without going into detail, that is covered in the book. The whole thing about the uh, 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 the Babylon Hubbard Lincoln. Parsons uh, visitation, the proximity to the Mojave where they did their uh, infamous uh, magical working and forgot to close it down, which is uh, that's not good juju in the magical world. Uh, causing all sorts of uh, problems or interesting things. I mean, if Bigfoot walked out of there, it's made a comfortable career for Bigfoot hunters or somebody. Well, what about UFO? I mean, what about modern ufology? I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, given that UFOs predate, uh, uh, well, they predate the United States, which is one reason why certain conspiracy theories just don't wash because there were ufos in antiquity and i think i think the united states air force started in 1946 ce not 1946 bce as i you know in my limited knowledge of history and the united states started in let's see 1776 and there are cases from 1576 or 1576 uh, BCE, you know. So yeah. 
They've what been around, but there, is, there was a rush of cases, including one that is covered in detail in, uh, in the new book. What about even earlier than that? I mean, what about like, you know, wasn't it Ezekiel's that seemed like the UFO thing? Kind of could have been. Yeah, yeah. The, and that can be dated almost exactly because he was living in the exile, which was uh, roughly 555-60 BCE. So when he had that experience or vision or, you know, there are different interpretations of it, uh, the ascent, as it's known, uh, it was at that time, which is 25, 2600 years ago. So I doubt that the CIA was, you know, involved in some nefarious plot back then. Uh, and well, that's where I love. That's where I love about you know you're going to get into this Black Lodge because lately, and you've sort of you know been making the connection between occultism and and sort of magic and UFOs because it seems to me like this breakaway civilization. Lately, I've been just thinking this: th these guys are not guys, but they've been around for a lot longer than we think. I mean, this goes back. This this UFO thing is connected with for you know in these secret societies for thousands of years. Even longer than that, I think, um, depending on whether one credits Graham Hancock uh, and company or not, it seems like as long as human beings have been around, there right. have been men in black, UFOs, experiences of the same sort that happen now. The difference is that post. Uh, the ritual in the desert that uh, <laughs> two curious gentlemen uh, conducted in order, apparently in order to get laid <laughs> after fashion. Um, they uh, uh, were immediately before the beginning of what we would call the modern UFO era, which is usually dated from June 24th, 1947, which is when Kenneth Arnold had his sighting. However, I think it dates from a little bit earlier than that and starts out with the uh, Maury Island weirdness, which is covered in detail in uh, 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 the, book, the new book. So your new book being uh, The Secrets of the Real Black Lodge Revealed. Revealed. and. Yeah. The word real is important there because I want to distinguish it from, uh, you know, the Black Lodge as uh, interpreted by David Lynch uh, in Twin Peaks. I think he had, how shall I put it, initiated knowledge of what the Black Lodge is like. But it is fiction, and fiction is always... Uh, at its best, a parallel to reality, but not necessarily reality as we would understand it. So uh, what we talk about, I mean, we talk about Twin Peaks in an, one, one chapter, but the book is about real evidence for the existence of this uh, sort of the opposite notion 
of the ascended masters, the secret chiefs of the third order, uh, the Lamed Vavniks in uh, Kabbalistic Judaism. And, uh, the, brotherhood, the, various, the, brotherhood, the Brotherhood, the White Brotherhood. I try to avoid that term because I keep seeing pictures I, of the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah, I, I, I know, I know. Hey, hey, brother, is that would would that be the Hermetic Brotherhood of Light then that you used in your other book? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I think well, the secret chiefs are ascended. That is, they're no longer corporeal beings, and the Hermetic Brotherhood of Light. I kind of hope they are corporeal but on the path because i'm in the hermetic brotherhood of light uh so <laughs> i may be calling well, you, look, you, you from you the ether corporeal right corporeal right now right. so for our listeners that have not heard of the black lodge the fake one or the real one what are what what exactly is it where does it come from what are sort of the other names we it might be going by that we might have heard it by well the duro and the Tiro. Um, there are a lot of names, but Black Lodge refers to, uh, well, it's used in two different ways. The way that we use it in the book is to define it as those no longer corporeal, but originally human masters who choose not to go on to nirvana, uh, the communion with the infinite, uh, the Ein Sof Hour, what, whatever term you want to use, but who use, for whatever reason, along the path, and for lack of a better term, pardon me, George Lucas, the dark side of the force. They've always been here, just as the secret chiefs have always been here, but they are the dark, dark, dark side, and have had different motives in different periods in history. For example, I think they had an enormous influence on Nazi Germany, specifically the SS, not so much, you know, the mainstream political wing, but they were they were into the spooky stuff and there are pre Nazi groups like the Brill Society and the Thule group that uh seem to have been directed by the Black Lodge, so I wouldn't be at all surprised at that. Again, you know, we do cover that in the uh, in the book. I'm going to let you name the book because if I name it, I'll just say, "Oh well, it's uh, secrets of the real the Black secrets Lodge of revealed. the real Black and, Lodge." And by, and by the way, it's secrets of the real Black Lodge revealed. Well, my name is Alan Greenfield, and I am a co-author of the Secrets of the Real Black Lodge Revealed. And we have to get, get all an hour and a half of that, and we have to get all the, be the three of us, so that Graham doesn't get uh, outed as a baby. Yeah, not so, a sexual one. I mean, it's it's. Do you have a question, Darren? Because well, I, I, is this like it just right away makes me think of something like the gin that's sort of been popping in out of history? Would that be like? There's all these different words we have for demons, gin, those sort of things. Is that what we're talking about here? This is just a name for these sort of same dark entities. It is some of the time. I mean, some of those entities that are referred to as demons or devils or uh, anything in that category of paranormal or supernatural beings, in in some cases, are directly the Black Lodge fooling around with uh, gullible humans. 
uh, Ashtar is noted as a trans-channeling source that goes back to remote antiquity, probably all the way back to Sumer, which is what, five, six thousand years ago, if not earlier, and uh, certainly back to Babylon. I mean, that was considered a deity there and had a female counterpart, Ashtaroth, which was frowned on uh, in biblical literature. But uh, nevertheless, these are evil demons. And yet people are channeling Ashtar and Ashtar Command, and that probably is the Black Lodge. But it overlaps with beings from, I don't know, I tend not to think we're getting visitations from other planets, but we certainly get visitations from other dimensions. Uh, dimensions is a poor word, but the word that actually describes it in terms of contemporary physics is uh, brains. And I have to spell it because it's not the thing in our skull. It's B-R-A-N-E-S, as in membranes. And uh, the current thinking among uh, many, not all, but many physicists is that there are a number of other membranes that are universes unto themselves with their own laws and rules, and sometimes they interpenetrate here. When you have a magical invocation or evocation, um, just as the uh, uh, the thing in, in the Mojave was, much more common than that, you are creating a portal to some other membrane. Actually, you probably don't know which membrane, and sometimes things come through. Sometimes pleasant things, for lack of a better term, angels or you know uh, divine beings or whatever. Sometimes something much more sinister, and. Uh, I, I think that overlaps with the Black Lodge, which feeds on that. Con, uh, uh, in, in tandem with that, the Black Lodge is hugely wealthy because they exist outside of space and time. And because they do, they can predict what's going to happen because it's already happened as far as they're concerned. So they are hugely wealthy. And while they are no longer corporeal, they hire the worst of humanity to do their dirty work. Um, that would be mafiosi, the Russian mob, maybe the Russian government now. Uh, the overlap is considerable. Um, uh, well, I mean, U.S. isn't doing very good either. Well, I was going to say the criminal class of people, people in organized crime, have always been subject to the Black Lodge. In fact, they used to refer to La Cosa Nostra as the Black Hand when it first uh, migrated from Sicily to America. Uh, I find this so fascinating because I've been thinking and talking about this, about after reading, you know, Blavatsky stuff and, and uh, narrating audiobooks on all that, and we've been talking about UFOs and the occult and, and magic and all this stuff, I've been thinking about the adepts and the brotherhood sort of that are supposed to be helping humanity on the, on the, when I use white and black here, it just means, you know, 
I guess, evil and light, you know, it's on the light side. Of As things. in the great white North, it doesn't mean that. Exactly. You're... Exactly. So, so that the, um, and I've been thinking like, if they're that, that, that powerful, how do we even know what's human and what's not human? If we're seeing phenomena, I mean, and if they can reach us through these invisible realms, then there's probably a dark side of a dark, you know, organization. And if they can do what the the light side can do, then we don't even know what's what's like UFOs and what's demons and angels. I mean, it, it's just it could be uh, somebody in a cave working at working on you through the astral realm, you know. So now this seems to be what you're explaining. I mean, you're basically explaining what I was wondering if if it was out there or not. If the voices that you hear lead you to decide. That when the comet Kohotek passes over, if you kill yourself, you will ascend. It's probably the Black Lodge. If, on the other hand, you hear a voice that suggests ways to move towards nuclear disarmament, or they just got a bug in my throat. <laughs> I just had I just had that same one. Well. Let me put it this way. <clears throat> they will use common sense and follow synchronicities, and you should be okay. Wow. But if, if you go into caves, go armed, and have somebody on the outside that knows that you're caving, go with spelunkers who are experienced, and for God's sake, wear protective equipment. <clears throat> Wait, I, I know think... that there are adventurous people uh, that uh, just sort of plunge right on in. And uh, I've been doing this for an awfully long time. A couple of years ago, I was still, I'm a little bit old to be doing this, but I was doing some caving and the shelf that I was on, I was there with two very experienced spelunkers because I do know the score, but I've never had any accidents. But anyway, the ledge I was on gave way. I guess it had was shale and it looked like solid rock. And I fell about four feet. So the other people pulled me up. And I thought, hmm, this is what I do if I fall down. Say, arm right, arm left, foot right, foot left. Head works. Everything's okay. Uh, the next day I had the worst backache and had to do rehab for a month after that and my caving days are over yeah. I, I i gotta admit you're you know you're you're onto something if i had you know all the resources i needed i mean i'd probably i'd probably go underground i'd probably go looking for stuff in down there i just heard from somebody on one of our trips that they discovered a a massive underground cave in british columbia darren did you hear that when we were talking about that massive the biggest one i don't know if it was north america or the world but this huge the, underground cave that's never been discovered before and they, and they have it all like closed off like the government's already shut it down you can't go in there well there you go i mean that's just the, the nature of it there is a huge cave system under uh appalachia the mammoth cave system and that i believe until this discovery was the second largest in the world the largest interestingly enough is in vietnam which is an an enormous cave system however i knew uh kind of the the ultimate don't go in the caves guy because he went in the caves uh, uh richard shaver and he was always telling me about 
the remains of prehistoric civilizations that had been left in caves and that uh, were being used by these degenerate beings that he called Duros that uh, affect humanity. And I never believed that there was cave cities or anything like that. Oh, I what's seem to the, what's, not... What's this, Darren? 20, this is old. I guess it's 2018 they found it. And it's not the biggest in the world. It says it's uh, one of Canada's largest caves. Okay. It's, it's the biggest in British Columbia, probably. The biggest in BC, yeah. Yes. And uh, there are lots of ambitious uh, ufologists and cryptozoologists in that area, <laughs> mostly in Vancouver, which is a very alternative culture city. We'll put it that way. Uh, and I would not want anybody to go willy-nilly, you know, charging in with no equipment or no background or anything because because they're the, idiots well the number of people who disappear mm. uh just look at banff uh there are disappearances all the time and of course human limbs come washing down the, i mean i don't have to tell you folks this, this is this is not news it's gory but it's not news uh, and the number of people that disappear without a trace who are never found again worldwide every year is staggering. It's in the many millions. Is this and, to do with the Black Lodge, too? Is this is the missing 411 and, and all the underground bases in the States, is that all connected to the Black Lodge? They, the Black Lodge seems to... Uh, well, their goals have changed over the long run. At one time, their major goal was simply to block people from ascending to become the uh, secret chiefs. In other words, they liked their original seduction was, hey, we're very high adepts. We don't want anybody to reach our level. Let them all work for us. So they established these three schools in Europe, which is in the book. And uh, uh, they also. Uh, seduce people through various means from money to sexual seduction to uh, I don't know just uh, trans channeling stuff that leads you down the garden path to their point of view they have switched there have always been elements within the Black Lodge that have really been nihilistic and they really want to see uh, the world come to an end um, apparently, and this is controversial, and I will label it as such because I'm certainly not sure that it's true, but there is some evidence that uh, there was a solar event. Oh, Jesus, it just flashed on my news screen when I said it. <laughs> That's a synchronicity. Oh, gosh, this is one that I don't want to be true because I don't have any out for this. The sun, as you know, periodically gets temperamental. And there is the thought that there was a major, major solar event 10,000 years ago that brought on the Younger Dryas period uh, that was sort of a reversion to the, uh, to the last ice age. Um, and while there, are, there is another also controversial theory that that was caused by a comet hitting the Earth, 
And then there's uh, then there are the institutionalists who say, "There it is again." Okay, I got you. Don't don't show that again. Okay, Alan to the secret chiefs. Stop showing the picture of the sun blowing up. Okay. Well, I mean, to add to that synchro, I was on a an X spaces with a sp- suspicious observer before we started I'm this. X. And uh, he was talking about it was the about the solar the pole shifting and the sun and it was about all that. I thought I'll pop in there for a little bit. So well, well, it suddenly right around the time our book was in production, there started to be temperamental solar events, and it made it to several of my news feeds that I look at every. There it is again. Fluffy exoplanet. Okay, maybe it's somebody else's sun. Anyway, they started to talk about the uh, the star Betelgeuse looks like it's about ready to go supernova. And uh, so don't say Betelgeuse three times. Betelgeuse, Betelgeuse. Ah. Uh, different Betelgeuse. But uh, our sun is acting up. And the talk isn't about, you know, a world-changing event like the Younger Dryas. But something more along the lines of the uh, uh, 1850s solar event, which sort of blew up uh, the, the only existing high tech of that period, which was the uh, Carrington uh, event in 1859. Yeah, that's yeah. correct. Okay, if that happened then, the worst you had to do was you know do a little rewiring. If it happened now, we would not be having this conversation because everything that we have that is dependent on the electronic world uh, organization, uh, all kinds of uh, electronic devices would be fried. And it would take a certain level for that to happen. But they keep alibying, well, the sun is just a little temperamental right now. It's a little before we expected. Uh, the agents of the Black Lodge have been fixated on the on solar stuff all through history. Do they have and any it, say over that, or do, is it is it purely cyclical, or do they have is there is there, is there some consciousness there? Is there a, a connection with with the sun? It being, let's say, a plasma that could be intelligent. Uh, separate subject, but I think uh, probably. There is something resembling a type of consciousness in everything. That's just my opinion, but it's a separate subject. I think the Black Lodge's interest is hoping that there's another event of the type that they think occurred during the Younger Dryas. In other words, they want civilization as we know it to end. and. Why? Because they're bad guys. There's don't look for a motive. I, well, I know, but aren't they like you know feeding on our fear? Or, I mean, isn't there like a positive yeah. aspect? Imagine the fear that that would induce. But it would also mean that the pool of people who might wind up in the opposite direction, that is, in the direction of the secret chiefs, would become severely limited, at least in the northern hemisphere. In fact maybe down to nothing. However, very recently, like in the last, well, exactly since 1945, 
some elements of the Black Lodge really are looking forward to a global thermonuclear war. They have no ideology in, in the human sense at all, but they love setting people against other people. They probably are very unhappy that the American government and the uh, Chinese government are talking again. I'm sure they'll throw some brickbats into that or start talking about Taiwan or whatever, but they would love to see uh, essentially civilization wiped out in a nuclear war. They are as bad as it gets. Your clue where, you, where you're dealing with coming to power would be uh, Pol Pot or Stalin or Hitler or, you know, or, or within Hitler's government, the SS, which had a mystic element, probably was in touch with the Black Lodge, were probably promised things like winning the war, you know, until they weren't. Uh, and I mean, I'm not the first to say any of these things, but that they are uh, really the darkest of the dark. And they're always there. I mean, you can't touch them directly. What we try to do in the book is to deal with something that seems to have been, if not suppressed, ignored after circa 1923. Right. Right. it's a big mystery because when I first encountered the the Black Lodge as a subject of discussion was during the 20 years of my life that I wasted in the OTO. But that's just editorial comment. It's just me saying that. Well, but well, uh, but during that period, I was told very early on, high initiates don't talk about the Black Lodge. Well, they used to, uh, uh, as up until the early 1920s, and then mysteriously, it stopped being an okay thing to talk about. It was like being woke or not woke. You know, you suddenly no longer can talk about this or that. It's Orwellian, really. And uh, uh, I was being me. I was very curious about the whole deal. Because why is that the case? And why is something this important not being talked about, particularly during the period where fascism was on the rise? Why would that not be talked about as a source of what was going on in uh, Germany and Japan at that time? Because they wanted to lead everybody to a materialistic paradigm. I mean, this this fits in with the rest of the sort of the clampdown on spiritualism and theosophy and anything metaphysical after World War One. I. I mean, it seemed like that was a, a that wasn't only a physical reset of the maps of the world, but it was a it was a spiritual reset as well. It's like no more of this woo woo stuff. We're going full on scientism materialism, and that means we can't talk about the Black Lodge either. Does that make sense? It makes sense to Rupert Shelbert Drake, and it makes sense to me. Uh, not that I put myself in his company, but I'm. There you go, another synchronicity. That's the book that I'm reading right now, his, his book on the corruption of science. Wow, interesting. So, yeah, you ought to have him on if you can find him, you know? Yeah, we did a while back, many, many years ago, uh, I think for a real short episode. Um, but did, did, oh man, I have so many questions rolling around in my head. It's just fascinating. So, but if it's humans, 
where are these humans from? And is there any recent humans that have been deceased that you would say are part of the Black Lodge now? Like, for example, are they are they, you know, humans that go back to Atlantis or Lemuria if they're if they're actually humans? Because I can't picture a lot of humans over recent time being even capable of reaching the Black Lodge. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, there were more or less physical manifestations of the Black Lodge in Tibet through around 1950, 51, 52. And the occasional Westerner who traveled to Tibet came back with these really, really strange stories because the sort of physical beachheads of both the uh, the secret chiefs, because to operate in this world, you need a location, and the same would be true for the Black Lodge. So you had uh, Shambhala, sort of the, the source for uh, Shangri-La, and you had Agarty, which was sort of the source for hell. I mean, it was just... Agartha? Yeah. And uh, they continued to operate as corporeal institutions until uh, China marched into Tibet and unceremoniously the uh, the uh, People's Liberation Army, quote-unquote, uh, machine-gunned both uh, headquarters to death. So now they're now totally incorporeal and not touchable. I think, well, one place that Shaver and I dis- disagreed was he considered these to be beings in this world, but under the surface that operated through criminal syndicates or whatever on the surface, because among other things, they're cannibals. And among other things, they're rapists. So they like a supply of disappearing people. I don't think that we're really dealing. Caves are only the portal entrance. This is just my opinion, but they're entrances to otherwhere. Other places, fairy. Uh, Jacques Vallée used the term Magonia, which is a traditional term for the land of the Fae. And I, I think that, uh, good or bad, uh, there are mixed opinions about that. Um, I sort of suspect that this is actually encounters with these portals that people, unbeknownst to them, are, including Shaver, have gone through have seen these beings and lived to tell the tale, which is a very small minority of those that have done that, but that it seems real to them in the sense of four-dimensional, three-dimensional reality, however you want to describe it. And uh, I think probably they're in some other place governed by other physical rules. This is something the only way to prove it would be to have an organized expedition that knows where such a portal is, or alternatively, as a ceremonial magician, I could say it it is possible to open a portal to, uh, in magic, they're called ethers, and to other ethers, and as long as you're going to open it, that's fine, so long as you know how to close it. Because if you leave it open, 
things will come through, and generally speaking, for whatever reason, it's usually something pretty bad. Is is um, <clears throat> what do I want to ask now? I mean, I guess is there a no? I want to keep going on the same vein there. So, did, is there anybody that we know the name, like a household name that has passed away that you think is in there? Um, there are the obvious ones, the SS hierarchy, um, and they thankfully have passed away as, uh, have passed from this life anyway. Uh, it's, it's a lot easier to define one of my earlier books. I give a list of people who eventually became, at least that was my view at the time of writing, uh, uh, the, the grail within um, there's a list of people that I think throughout history have been ascended masters or, or secret chiefs. There's probably a comparable list of people who are now deceased who have been in uh, uh, ascended into the black lodge or have been influenced by it. But, uh, those influenced by it are people that it was just too common. John Gotti probably was senior. I must emphasize was probably on the payroll. Uh, I guess I can say it on adversarial people. I think uh, Vladimir Putin has been influenced by the black lodge. How directly I'm not sure, but he does seem to be a man on a mission. And that mission is to uh, recreate the Russian Empire of, he says, Peter the Great. I think it's more like Ivan the Terrible, but that's, you know, that, that's an editorial opinion. So take it for what, what it's worth. What about white, what about white angels? Like, is, is there a, an opposite group to the Ascended Masters, not the chiefs, not the Ascended Masters, or maybe they are the Ascended Masters that... Would they be considered archangels or angels or? Oh, no. Angels are a distinct. They were never human. They are a type of being probably from one specific brain. There is one. I don't know. Most of the fiction on occultism. uh, My son Alex's movies to the contrary because he grew up with this stuff. Um, Most movies about occultism get it totally wrong. There is one called A Dark Song, which is fairly faithful to the Abramelin working, which is a traditional magical working. And at the end of it, uh, a, an angel is invoked because the whole point of the Abramelin working is to develop knowledge and conversation of the holy guardian angel. You can use other terms, you know, if that spooks you or whatever that. Uh, uh, and since materialism is still ascendant, possibly the term angel, you would rather use a term like entity or whatever. But uh, I'm not particularly impressed by the results of materialism. So I, I, angel is what they're called in that film, and that film is pretty, pretty accurate. Somebody did their homework for once. So is there a White Lodge then? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, if if there were not, 
then the world would be a lot like uh, uh, Pol Pot's uh, version of Cambodia, Cambodia. And, and, and I guess I guess you you kind of already said how you how you can discern a little bit between you know if you're getting influenced or messages from either lodge. Common sense, plus if something about what you're getting seems off or seems self-destructive or seems destructive of other people, back away from it. If it's a, an enlightenment program that wants your money, back away from it. I don't, you know, my books are my sole source of income, uh, but uh, everything else that I do is done free of charge. You know, I do, I've done all sorts of empowerments for people and pretty much, you know, at, uh, at will. In other words, if somebody wants it, if I have it available, I give it. And for 10 years, I uh, did these workings during the summer months. Well, from in my part of the universe, that would be all the way from March to October. But uh, we must have empowered over 100 people simply because they came. They came in peace and they asked for empowerments and in front of a group of uh, like-minded people, they were empowered and then they would, you know, take it and do with whatever they want. There are some in your neck of the woods that, uh, that I did the empowerment for. Um, and no money ever changed hands on that. Those who do similar things and charge, you know, thousands of dollars for what they're doing or do healings by the hour or whatever, uh, I would say stay away from them. They're probably in league with the Black Lodge. Doesn't there need to be some exchange or does there? The only exchange that I know of is the willingness to give and the willingness to receive. That costs nobody anything. It's yeah. like air. You have to have air, but air is more or less free. And so is empowerment. So if you uh, become part of an order that gives you a mail order course in how to be enlightened, you know, paying per pop as as that's probably something. I mean, people can ask for contributions. That's always okay, but uh, well, not always. Usually okay, but uh, if they're charging, especially if they're charging more than a nominal fee. Uh, I would stay away from it because they might be perfectly all right. It might be their, you know, their bread and butter. They're feeding their family. But on the other hand, is uh, the default position is uh, money and spirituality don't make good bedfellows. Do people always know if they're part of the back lodge, or can you be like a, a useful idiot? I think that that comment. Well. I hate to say this, but read the book. It The whole purpose of this particular book is to alert people to how the Black Lodge operates in various uh, areas of life vis-a-vis -vis the human race. That being said, 
I would hope that once someone has read this, and the it's the third book in a trilogy, if they, I mean, it'll be good for standalone, but if you've read the whole trilogy, it probably will be uh, more informative, I guess. Uh, if you've read them all, you certainly will have a good sense of whether you're dealing with something that is uh, inspired by the the uh, secret chiefs of the Third Order or inspired by the Black Lodge or alternately just something that is, you know, just a scam or neutral or well-meaning but silly, silly kind of new agey stuff. Is that, is that series, uh, the story of the Hermetic Brotherhood of Light, is that one of them? No, it is not. I mean, that would be a profitable read, but uh, it starts with uh, a Secret Cipher of the Euphonauts yeah. and then Secret Rituals of the Men in Black. You can get those combined also in the complete Secret Cipher of the Euphonauts. And then many years later, uh, Secrets of the Real Black Lodge. Review. Okay, and okay. yeah, They are. A, a continuum, although it took me 20 some odd years to get all three uh, in print, but they're all in print now, thanks to my current publishers. Yeah. Um, what There's a good question here from Catastrophic New England in the chats. Um, were the founding fathers of the USA Black Lodge or was the American idea taken over by it more recently? <laughs> and do I still beat my wife? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I I can't answer that except to say that uh, any system, no matter how good or bad, that persists for a long period of time needs radical revision periodically or it ossifies and becomes dogmatic. That doesn't require anything other than persistence. I think uh, the American experiment was nobly inspired, mostly by uh, mainstream deistic Freemasons. But is that still the case, or are we dealing with crinkly old ideas from an old world? Um, you make up your mind. That's a different subject, and I'll be glad to do a political show with you. Okay, here's another one. Let's, let's stay out of the politics and before I start asking about Biden. So uh, the is, is Dr. Greenfield aware of any direct connections between Black Lodge and Hellfire Club? Um, actually, no. Considering, the, now you're talking about the classical 18th century Hellfire Club or uh, yeah, one of the... Yeah. Yeah, one no, of the I'm, mini I'm, imitators, the Medmenham no, I'm, I'm Abbey, the original one. Yeah, probably from the UK, wasn't it? Or yes, it was in the UK, and uh, it was. In fact, they eventually located in a place called Medmenham Abbey, which had been uh, before the uh, before the Protestant Reformation. It had been an an abbey. Uh, of course, Henry VIII, who may have been informed by one lodge or the other, or both. That would be an interesting thing. Heads of state have a lot of whispering in their ear. Uh, I don't think that they're a Black Lodge operation. Uh, I think they were trying to test the limits of what 
human beings can do as free human beings. They reach the point where that line between that which is voluntary and that which is coerced was crossed, particularly in sexual areas. You can see that better uh, uh, across the uh, channel in uh, the Marquis de Sade's work, because clearly if he was doing any of the stuff he was writing about, uh, it wasn't consensual and some of it was deadly. Uh, but I don't think it crossed that line from any anything that I have heard or seen about the uh, uh, the Hellfire Club. Even the name is meant to be something of a burlesque. It's not meant to be taken okay. literally. Yeah, yeah. They, they even had a cross of two nude women, which I owned for a while. I don't remember what who I sold it to during hard times, but uh, uh, that was that was their cross. They they were a the equivalent of a shock rock band now. Okay. And so what about what about going forward to? Uh, sorry, do you want to finish off that thought? Sorry. No, I just I I think they were probably. Uh, ex, uh, sexual experimentalist libertines and okay. you may be yeah, you generic you may be appalled at that uh, i'm not i think that that's something that periodically the late great sexual revolution from 1960 to the early 1980s that is from the pill to aids was an experiment that needed to happen and were there casualties? Yes. Was it something that needed to happen after the, particularly in America where the Puritans, having been more or less kicked out of Europe, came to? Uh, it probably needed that kick in the pants to uh, to move on. You were, go ahead, what about Eric. now with the, like... Uh... Well, you know, you go there? the over-sexualization of children and the, you know, the the hormone blocking of children and stuff like that, that's got to be the same, the same, that's got to be them, right? It has to be. Yeah. Definitely. And I think, I, I'm not saying that people who advocate that sort of thing are necessarily consciously in league with the, the Black Lodge. But I think they have been seduced by a species of wokeness that says, oh, well, you know, children are people too, blah, 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 blah. Uh, it, it clearly is something that is seducible and it can lead to very vile things. Also, if it involves surgical things, it's irreversible things. So it's. Uh, it's something that I would look on with great grave suspicion. As you're kind of mentioning in the Hellfire Club, they're kind of they're doing, uh, you know, they're practicing the, how powerful human beings can be, and I feel like that carried forward into you know the Nazis were doing stuff in the 30s, the even the precursor to the CIA, I guess the OSS or the uh, yeah, they were. Like there was, there was some occult stuff that was becoming aware, known of in the government, and then we talked about forty six, and then forty seven, and the CIA, 
and they really wanted to shut they really wanted to 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 carry through this with the secrecy the disclose like and it's got to do with the ufos now too like was was there was there was their realization of reality so strange and crazy and we have so much power to manifest our reality that they had to just sort of shut down that information from basically Western civilization and the world. Was that part of this whole disclose, like this whole UFO secrecy? I feel like it's all connected with the occult and with, with power, you know, with, with, with us being spiritual beings with power. I think you would find that more true in the scientific establishment than in the government establishment. That is, there's overlap there in the military industrial complexes. Eisenhower put it, um, but I think that primarily there is an agenda that it's a belief system, like all belief systems. It's based on faith, but the faith is in the ability of the scientific approach to reality to explain everything, which is just right. not true. It's right. not true. And once you take that as your uh, your guide, it becomes really authoritarian towards anyone who has a different point of view. Uh, I'll give you a couple of examples, okay, uh, if we have time for this. Yeah, let's do it, yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't necessarily think Emanuel Velikovsky was uh, correct about the notion that in historical times, there was a close approach from a comment uh, that uh, uh, caused a good deal of the biblical miracles and so forth. Uh, but I think his underlying premise was something called catastrophism, which I think is correct, because as time has gone on, we have the dinosaur extinction the aforementioned Younger Dryas, which led to a change of the many species and uh, came pretty close to uh, making human beings extinct as well a couple of times in the course of history. So I think he was correct in his basic idea. I don't think that Venus started out as a comet and wound up orbiting the sun. But the amount of resistance from the orthodox scientific establishment, where they were censoring his books, even, even some of his most severe critics, uh, like Carl Sagan, said, wait a minute, I don't agree with this man even having his name mentioned. But the fact is, you cannot censor a person and call yourself a scientist. That scientism not science. And while I don't have, you know, the, to me, science is not a sacred cow, period. Uh, I mean, it has its uses, but it's a very, what, what is that phrase? It's a uh, good servant, but a poor master. And I think it has become a master and it's a really poor master. Having said that, I think what happened to Velikovsky has happened to any number of people. Uh, I do have a closer connection to the ideas of uh, uh, 
uh, Wilhelm Reich. And uh, Wilhelm Reich was a psychiatrist who thought he had discovered what sounds a lot like the ether or dark energy uh, and thought that he had uses for it, including being able to shoot down UFOs as well as rainmaking with uh, uh, cloud, busting, cloud busting and rainmaking. Yeah, using basically the same device, a focus for the organ energy. That He wound up dying in Lewisburg Federal Prison, and his books were burned on the beach. Well, they obviously weren't all burned because they're all in print now. But the point is the reaction in his lifetime cost him his life. I think that he was on to something, and I think that it so contradicted the medical and uh, scientific establishment that there is where the government comes in. It's the scientific establishment or the, especially the medical establishment doesn't like it. Bad things will happen to you. Okay. So it wasn't, it wasn't so much the, like the black lodge or some other sort of entity um, changing, changing our paradigm to scientism. It just happens sort of naturally through, uh, through through science and and then the government gets involved when 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 the paradigm changes too quickly. So what about what about um what about black nobility? You hear a lot about lately. I've heard last couple of years a lot about this black nobility. I don't know if you're aware of what they're talking about. Is that connected with the black lodge? Is that the physical manifestation sort of of uh, of that or the precursor to the black lodge? Uh, not a precursor. I mean, the Black Lodge has possibly been around longer than human beings have been around. I mean, uh, Homo Nilati may have had ascended masters of both both types, you know. So, uh, and certainly, the more we find out about our immediate predecessors, the uh, Neanderthals, uh, the less like hairy apes they seem, and the more like uh, an alternate form of human beings, possibly better adapted to the Ice Age than uh, uh, Homo uh, sapiens were. Uh, the flourishing and the decline of, of the Neanderthals may have been because the climate changed. Uh, so it is possible that uh, the priesthood of both sides aiming at ascending has been around longer than the human race right, as right. such. Yeah. I mean, there's that interesting, and again, it's still controversial, but the fact that the crew that is looking at the uh, Homo Nalati in the Rising Star Cave in South Africa, there's some indication that these beings with small brains, but apparently big hearts, not only buried their dead, but drew on the walls and one of their children, because lifespans were brutally short, apparently was buried with a tool in his hand for carving on the wall of that very cave. Wow. That suggests not only a, a great degree of sophistication, but also perhaps a degree in a spiritual afterlife. 
Otherwise, why give grave goods? And of course, subsequent to that, grave goods, as any archaeologist or looter will tell you, uh, are very common throughout history. And uh, uh, I suspect that that is a reflection of uh, the universality of, of the spiritual. Okay. Do you, have you ever thought of who the most, most prolific mage or the most powerful mage was in, in history or has been? Probably it wasn't Alistair Crowley. I can tell you that. Probably can't say. Uh, you probably can't say a lot living, but but. Well, he me. ain't living. He died in 1947. But uh, uh, and living, frankly, I'd be glad to mention uh, the person who has most influenced me is uh, Tal Michael Bertio in Chicago. He's in his, I guess, late 80s, but he is definitely the, the greatest living magus. And his teacher is an ascended master, and uh, I don't presume to, you know, to know their orientation, but I would assume that he's in the, uh, he's a secret chief now. And what became a secret chief during Bertio's lifetime, so he has a direct line, as it were. Wow. Um, It's very fortunate. In fact, there are ways to use use the euphonaut cipher to get messages from the secret chiefs. But I've found if you just look for the synchronicities and follow them, it will lead you in the direction of the secret chiefs. On the other hand, if it leads you like a limbing to the edge of the cliff, it's probably the Black Lodge. Again, common sense. Um, As for people that have in my lifetime been and probably are ascended masters, perhaps uh, Paramahansa Yogananda uh, and uh, Krishnamurti, who I started on a trek because I wanted to meet somebody who I knew was headed in that direction. And he had the gall to die on me. (laughs) I think that's a really shabby thing to do, but he's certainly an ascended master in all seriousness now. and. came damn close in this lifetime because he kept the theosophists of his generation tried to make him into the world teacher, which made Alistair Crowley mad because Crowley thought he was the world teacher. And he had very uh, unpleasant things to say about Krishnamurti. Well, I don't think Crowley was a world teacher, but I do think, uh, I do think Krishnamurti was an influence some of the off physicists that are sort of changing the paradigm very slowly, much too right. slowly yeah. in physics. Um, so it wasn't as if his influence was only on, uh, you know, California hippie uh, 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 New Agers. It was on the precipice of orthodox science, which we're in the middle of, I don't mean, I don't know how long it'll take, but I think we're in the midst of a paradigm shift, which is going to uh, cause the the old order to resist mightily. Um, let me get back to something you mentioned earlier, because there is a practical reason for why, two practical reasons for why at least the U.S. government doesn't want 
to have UFOs as a wild card discussion. In fact, I think they came up with this uh, new term UAP because it's silly sounding. I mean, try to a UFO can be used as it is in ufology as UFO. As long as you don't call it you fool, I have no objection. But how do you do that with UAP? First of all, it says it's a phenomena, not object. And that's an interesting transformation. I don't buy into it at all. But in 1952, in July of 1952, there was a headline-making wave of, well, even the term UFO didn't exist then, flying saucers. Uh, over, well, it was flying saucers. That's the way it was headlined. I even have a couple of those headlines. Over restricted airspace in Washington, D.C. Not equaled again until, unfortunately, 9-11 occurred. Um, and it created a, a storm because jets were scrambled and they saw this, whatever it was. Uh, it was confirmed on radar, and it created an enormous amount of public interest, which was already there. Uh, at, at, but it began to look like private groups were being organized to sort of follow this. This is the days of the Ground Observer Corps, where volunteers were looking for Soviet jets sneaking into America because it was the 1950s and no Soviet aircraft were sneaking in anywhere. But that, that was the way of thinking of that time. So the next year, the CIA uh, convened a panel uh, to assess what does this whole flying saucer thing mean. And I, I don't have to make this up. It's all online now, uh, so you can look it up. Interestingly, Dr. Heineck, who eventually became a pro-UFO person, uh, was a member of this panel. But they concluded that, and again, you have to be in 1950s think to even grok this uh, weird uh, way of thinking. What if the Communist Party, even then, five little old ladies, you know, putting out the daily worker. Uh, what if the Communist Party infiltrated private UFO organizations and caused a fake flying saucer flap to take place so that the radar and the ground observer corps and the uh, 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 and jets would be chasing flying saucers while the, the nefarious Soviets snuck in and uh, nuked us till we glowed. Uh, that was the thinking. So the conclusion of the CIA panel was we need to deny, deny, deny that there's anything to this phenomenon. And we need to break up these private organizations, nip them in the bud. And they tried. That has obviously not been the case, but some of the early groups, not only here, but I mean, I, I well, don't want to. The, One the, in New, New Zealand as well that uh, got the uh, the axe. 
Well, the pivot to ridicule worked for decades. I mean, it really did work. I mean, I you're talking about the Robertson panel, right? Uh-huh. So we've got that narrated in our pod, podcast, Adult Brain Audiobook Podcast. There's a narration of the Robertson panel um, notes. It's interesting, but I didn't find the appendix. Uh, there's, a, there's an appendix for it that I need to find that I couldn't find. It's all online. Um, I mean, yeah, I, none I of it is secret anymore. Find. But it's appalling. But it that worked. kind of conclusion. Well, yes, it worked. But some of the things that were done, like intimidating uh, UFO witnesses, intimidating nascent organizations, or even, and this I don't know to be the case, but I suspect to be the case. One of the larger early UFO organizations was NICAP, the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena. And I think there is a revival group now, but I don't think the revival group should be tarred with the original brush. It started out with a civilian head of the organization. And then shortly thereafter, he was replaced by Major Donnelly Kehoe, U.S. Marine Corps retired, and the board of directors was headed by Admiral Roscoe Hillencutter, uh, who had been associated with the OSS and was the first director of the CIA. And NICAP, throughout its uh, the original NICAP's journey, all the way up to the Condon Committee, which you know, uh, was sort of the end of the Air Force Project Blue Book, supposedly. Um, it was the end of Project Blue Book, but I mean, it's not necessarily the end of, you know, government interest at some level. Um, NICAP had this weird doctrine, which I ran afoul of periodically because that's my thing. <laughs> uh, the doctrine seemed to consist of this flying saucers exist. But they never land, they never communicate with people, and the real energy of the private flying saucer movement should be on exposing the Air Force program, not on finding out what the phenomena is all about. And that was true right up until the Air Force decided, we're going to close the project and farm this out to the University of Colorado. And uh, it became public knowledge after the fact that they had said from the beginning that they were going to appear to be open-minded investigators, but actually uh, they were uh, going to reluctantly conclude that there was nothing to the phenomenon. Yeah, that's why I I think the current disclosure project, while I think the people in it are sincere, I think the same kind of result is almost inevitable. Yeah, I don't know. I, I still have a faint hope that uh, there's, there's the phenomena will react in some way to the accelerated disclosure, to the awareness of what's going on, almost in a egregore type way or something. There's there's going to be. There's, there's almost too much to, to keep the lid on now. But I do have one one last question for the Black Lodge, if, if possible. Um, this being you, Wait that, a minute. I don't, I don't represent the Black Lodge. 
No, I can't no. answer questions for them. Uh, I'm not their spokesperson. It's uh, being Gwenon's birthday today. I don't know if I'm going to pronounce it right. Are you aware of any of Gwenonian involvement in Black Lodge business? That's Rene Gwenon yeah. or Gwenon? Gwenon. Um, yeah, I mean, he was on the border. Again, he was a material human being who has since, long since died. There are all of these. Uh, there was the fin de Sicile, uh in the late 19th, early 20th century. Really, we'll just say Victorian, Edwardian period. Interest, enormous interest for the time in the occult. And it attracted some of the great luminaries of the time. Um, it also attracted people who were borderline uh, fascists. And Genon, I think, was on that border. Now, where his allegiance was, that's not as clear to me. And I'm not going to condemn him for yeah. things that happened after him any yeah. more than Nietzsche was you know, lionized by the Nazis, but he wasn't a Nazi. He wasn't an anti-Semite. He even broke with Wagner over anti-Semitism. So, you know, that's, uh, uh, you can't do anything if you're in an asylum and you're dead. You know, that's just not, not retroactive. Uh, uh, I call that, uh, something like, uh, adjacent discrimination. Well, discrimination. uh, uh, let's see, there's a term for it. Um, oh, I know what you're talking. Yeah. The, yeah. There is a term for it. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, a type by, of, uh, yeah, it's, uh, in a way. temporal imperialism. Okay. There you go. Judging the past right. by the standards of the moment, which right. probably will be judged 50 years from now, like. These people did podcasts. They were horrible people, yeah. as we all know. Now. That's happening now. I mean, they're doing that in real time now. Depending on what you're podcasting about, you could get in some real trouble. Alan, this yeah, has been fantastic. I know now what the Black Lodge is and to stay away from it. Where can people get the book? Where can they get all the books? Is it best to go to your website or is it best to oh, go no, to no, Amazon? No. no, I don't sell books. So if you go to my website, you won't find it. Um, you can get the book from any of the major online, uh, even some of the minor online things. Amazon has it. Barnes & Noble has it. Amazon UK, uh, Amazon Canada has it, I believe. Um, Amazon Brazil has it. Uh, so it's available on all of the Amazon outlets, Barnes & Noble, and some of the smaller uh, outlets, uh, you can get it there too. Also, on the Amazon version, probably my publisher will kill me for saying this. If you prefer the Kindle version, there's a Kindle version there that you can't get anywhere else because I think Amazon owns Kindle. Yep. Amazon does own Kindle and Audible and a bunch of other stuff. I personally prefer the hard copy. What about audio? Any plans to get it out on audio? Oh, well. It's the book edition with real paper and real pages of Secrets of the Real Black Lodge Revealed. <laughs> well, Alan, what about social media? Can people follow you on Twitter or anything like that? I'm on Twitter virtually every day, several times a day. 
I have a bunch of news feeds that specialize in the, you know, the weird stuff. And anything I see that seems to be uh, of interest to my, I think I'm close to 4,000 people there now. And I have, I've always had 5,000 on on, uh, Facebook. I just sort of mirror it on Facebook. Yeah. Um, I'm there and I do respond to questions always. What's your name? If it's a net, I I use, are you ready for my secret name? Alan Greenfield. (laughs) Oh, one word. And a big shout out to Olaf Phillips, your co-author and who connected us um, as well. Olaf is the best. Yeah. Yeah. On that much we agree. We agree on everything. It seems like we agree on just about everything. Uh, I'm sure we could find some things to disagree on if we had enough time. But unfortunately, we're out of time for now. Dr. Greenfield, Dr. Alan Greenfield, this has been great. Uh, I mean, I just found your stuff when I got that email from Olav the other day. So we were, Graham and I were talking before the show about how many books you have and how crazy it is we haven't crossed paths before. So we might have to do this again. We have another podcast where we do tend to get pretty political once in a while. You did talk about maybe getting political. So maybe we could have you on that down the road and we could talk politics. Sounds good to me. Thank you, Darren. Thank you, Graham. Thanks, buddy. Awesome. Watch right. me attempt to leave in good order. Okay. Here. Okay. okay. <laughs> Where's that little red button? Little red button. And that was our chat with Dr. Alan Greenfield. Secrets of the Real Black Lodge Revealed. Get the book. What do you think? Yeah, man. I, I love it. I I did a little bit of prep for this, but I didn't get to read the whole book. But I mean, I might have, we might have to talk to Olaf about doing it on audio. We, for them i mean i i have a feeling it's like some of these other offers we have on they're just people are trying to charge them a whole bunch to do audio maybe we can work out a deal or something you know olaf probably has a bunch of great books over there. i know they need to be on audio these things like is this i would love to read it well have you got his email don't you uh yeah i could i could probably yeah we'll we'll, we'll connect with olaf and figure it out well big thanks to olaf for helping set up this show big thanks to dr alan greenfeld for coming on the show uh big thanks to you guys for listening Thanks to the live guys for tuning in live. I mean, it's always nice to have you guys there. Ask a question. We asked some of your questions. I mean, you asked some some actual good questions. I tr- well, I tried paying attention to the chats. I can't do it, and I and I'm oh, I always do. No, it's usually just a total shit show with nothing. You know, they're not 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 a total shit show. They're not dicks. They're nice. They're all nice people, but it's, it's just like, like, hey, how's it going? Yeah. Mm. But uh, I some hard hitting questions this week, and uh, Alan fielded them. So big thanks to you guys for listening. Um, we love you guys. Oh, check out our other podcasts. Like we said, we get political over there all the time. Uh, we do all sorts of crazy stuff over there. We do the news roundups where we talk about all the news they don't want us to talk about and the extra spicy news like people dying. Uh, and check out our audiobooks, like Graham mentioned, adultbrain.ca. Contact at the cabin for the trips. We got the big eclipse the big eclipse trip coming up. And uh it's going to be a blast. Our first festival down with Snake Bros down in Texas. Other than that, we love you guys. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week.
Against the machine Don't get comfortable 